a young boy uh, once approached a missionary and he, uh, he said, I love you and I want you to have this. And he pulled a shell out of a, out of a wicker basket and it was a very beautiful shell. And the missionary immediately recognized it as something that you could only find on this island that she was on, on the far side of the island. And it was a half a day's walk to get there. And of course, a half a day's walk back. And so she was really touched and admired its beauty. And, and she asked the boy about this and he smiled and he said, long walk, part of gift. Long walk, part of gift. I want to talk to you about the long walk that Jesus made to get to where we are. Because you see, we celebrate today that long walk from heaven to earth for God to take on flesh. And we celebrate the love that required such a gift and apart from the incarnation, God becoming flesh, that's what incarnation means, we would never fully know the depths to which He loved us or the lengths to which He went that we might be able to trust Him, really trust Him. That's a story shared by Brian Bill. I just, I like to give attribution to, I mean, I didn't make this story up and the missionary didn't tell me that story, so there you go. The incarnation began when the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary's womb. That's when the incarnation began. We know Jesus is eternal. Jesus always was. As a matter of fact, it says in the scriptures that before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Jesus existed in eternity past as one part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't begin when he was born in a manger. He always was. The manger or the conception in Mary's womb was the beginning of His incarnation. And that's why we celebrate because Christmas is the beginning of salvation. Christmas is the beginning of, of, of Jesus becoming the one that could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. It all began. In a manger or in, a, in Mary. But it was a long walk. And what I mean by that is what it took to deliver that most generous gift to become fully human, though fully divine. Somebody who gets us, who can represent us, that we might have life. That was a long, that was a process. And I want you to stick with me because some of you might raise some eyebrows with what I'm about to tell you, but the incarnation was not an instant breakfast drink. All you old folks, you know what I'm talking about. Back in the day when protein drinks were not yet cool, there was this thing, the, the brand name was Carnation. It was the instant breakfast. You could just mix it with milk and you had your breakfast. This was really cool back in the 70s and 80s. The incarnation is not an instant breakfast drink. The incarnation started instantly, but it was a process. I want you to read with me 
Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to just set the story. If you read Luke 2, many of you will read Luke 2 this next weekend as you gather for your Christmas gatherings. I do. I or one of my kids reads it every Christmas time. And it's the account of Mary being visited by the, well, actually of, of the actual birth and the shepherds coming and the whole thing. But we usually stop after the shepherds go and see the baby and then they go tell and all of that. And we, they went and told it on the mountain. But we usually stop right there. But there's more to the story. And what I want you to understand is, is not long, eight days after that, Jesus uh, was taken to the temple by Joseph and Mary and he was basically dedicated to the Lord. Okay? And two different prophetic people prophesied over Jesus that day and gave Mary and Joseph a glimpse into what was coming down the road. And at the end of that little scenario, there's this verse that usually we pass right over, but it's Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And the child grew, say grew, and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. What I want to talk to you about this morning is that little word grew and one that I'm about to share with you in the next few verses. This word grew indicates that there was a filling of wisdom that kept pace with his physical development. As one Bible scholar said, the intellectual, moral, and spiritual growth of the child, like the physical, was real. His was a perfect humanity developing perfectly, unimpeded by her hereditary or acquired defects. It was the first instance of such a growth in history. For the first time, a human infant was realizing the ideal of humanity. Now think about this. God created Adam and Eve, but the first babies born were Cain and Abel, and they were born into sin. This is the first time in history that a baby went to a full gestation period and was born and was born sinless. The first time in all and the only time in all of human history. That should make us go, wow. Wow. And that takes us to a few verses later. After Jesus grows up to 12 years old, everybody remember this story? They go down to the Passover like every good Jewish uh, male was supposed to do. And, and a, lot of the, a lot of the moms and wives went as well. But they talk, took the whole family down to Jerusalem. And then they started to leave. And there was all these caravans of people going back north to Nazareth. And they didn't check on, on Jesus when they first took out. They assumed he was with the rest of the crowd. But after a day, they realized Jesus isn't here. They turn around, go back a day's journey and they look for him a day and where do they find him? In the temple discussing the scriptures with the scholars and experts of the law. And they're amazed. And Jesus says to them, did you not know that I need to be in my father's house or as some translations say, be about my father's business? So here's Jesus up to 12 years old. And I want to read the scripture that follows that story. 
And it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, Why were you searching for me? He, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all of these things in her heart and Jesus kept increasing. Some versions say progressing. Some versions say advancing. All are an accurate assessment of the Greek word right there. But, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I want you to hear what the scripture is saying. Jesus was developing as a human. Not as divine. He was developing as a human. He was making progress. And it says they're not just in favor with man, but in favor with God. In other words, Jesus was going through a process of actually becoming the perfect human being that goes through all the paces that human beings go through. It's going to stretch a little, some of you a little bit. But this word progressing or, or increasing is the same word Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 4. He uses it in Colossians chapter 2. He uses it over and over. He uses it in Corinthians. He uses it in Galatians. It's always a word that he uses to describe the development of believers in their faith. Same word used for Jesus. For Jesus. Now, This word, one, one scholar, A.T. Robertson, says he kept cutting his way forward as through a forest, as a pioneer. He kept growing in stature and in wisdom. His development was perfect for that stage of life. Same basic thing was said of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2, by the way. So what are we to make of this? Jesus made progress as a human being the same way we make progress. Now, when I first heard this concept, I, I have to tell you, I recoiled because in my heart I said, wait a minute, he's God. We can't do anything to, to diminish his divinity, his deity. We don't dare go there because we know he's God in flesh. And so through, his, through the history of the church, many times believers and, and theologians preachers have made one mistake or the other. They want to emphasize his deity to the exclusion of his humanity, or they want to emphasize his humanity to the diminishing of his deity. And can I tell you, it's a mystery, but he was fully both. He was fully God. And he was fully human. Say, how can that be? God is unlimited. Humanity is always limited. How can that be? All I can say to you is that's what the scriptures show us. And he demonstrated this and he showed all the marks of humanity except one that humanity did not have in the beginning. And that is sin. We read this scripture just a couple of weeks ago in, in Philippians chapter 2 and Paul is encouraging the church to unity and he's given them all the reasons for unity. And you know, you know who, the, who the case in point, the, the poster child for unity was? Jesus. 
And he says, have this attitude in you or this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who even though he was God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he let go and he became a servant and took on the form of a man. And he served even to the point of death on the cross. What does this mean? It means he limited on his human side. He limited the exercise of divine prerogatives for a while. He limited himself. He limited himself. It's the only way he could ever say, I did it the way you have to do it. I did it the way you have to do it. By the way, do you not believe that the Almighty God could have instantly put the King of Kings on a throne just like that? Without having to be a baby, without having to change diapers, without having to wipe noses, without any of that? Don't you believe that He could have just produced Messiah in a moment's time and that child not have to learn how to walk like other children do? Absolutely he could. But I'll tell you what would have been shortchanged if he had done that. We, at every stage and age of our lives, we would always wonder, does God really understand? Does he really understand? Because after all, he had a stacked deck. After all, he had an unfair advantage. He was God. He was all-powerful, all-knowing. He was all of that. But guess what? He wasn't everywhere present. I'm just telling you that Jesus limited himself to go through the normal processes of human growth and experience that we go through. He limited himself to that. Did he exercise divine prerogative in many places? Yes, he did. Did he ever cease to be God? No, he didn't. It was a mystery, fully human, including the need to develop, and fully God, who is perfect and complete. You see, God doesn't need anything. God is perfect and complete. Amen? He doesn't need anything. And Jesus was God, is God. And yet in His human side, in His human nature, He had to go through the paces and the processes of human life. He went through the process like us. Now listen, Nick Saban did not invent the process. <laughs> you must be an Auburn fan anyway. <laughs> but he didn't invent the process. God invented the process. And every human being has to go through a process. And we're, we're just loving it. You know, this is our first year with a grandchild. And we're just loving, you know, just anticipating all of the wonder of that. And she's not quite a year old yet. But, but still, we're, we're really looking forward to that. But there's a process. And, and, and thankfully, our daughter has given us one of these little apps where we can see pictures, new pictures and videos every day. As often as she posts them, we have immediate access to them. And because we're almost two hours away, that's important. All you grandparents are going, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. But there's a process and the process is beautiful. 
But can we all just be honest? Sometimes the process is painful. Sometimes the process is scary. Sometimes the process is difficult. And Jesus went through all of it. He went through all of it. Just like you and me. And what does this really look like? Well, Jesus understands that process firsthand. He's been there, done that, got the shirt, got the hurt, walked the walk, won the war. You hear what I'm saying? He'd been there, done that, got the shirt, got the hurt, walked the walk, won the war. He grew and developed as a human in stature, in wisdom, and he grew in favor with God. So, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He is God. How did he grow in favor with God? If he is God, I don't know. But what I do know is what it says. And it says he grew, he advanced, he progressed in favor with God. Evidently, as he grew 12 years old, older, as he grew and matured physically, emotionally, psychologically, as he grew that way, he also grew in his understanding of the will of God and what brought glory to God. And he continually practiced it Perfectly, And as he went through that process, evidently he... Be Listen, at three... You, do you think he knew he was God in the flesh at three years old? Probably not. We don't know. It doesn't say. But at 12 years old, he already knows who his father is. And I don't know if you ever noticed this. I didn't notice it until this week. But Mary says to him, she speaks up like the disturbed mama that lost her baby. Your father and I... We're worried sick. And what was his response? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? At least at that moment, we know that Jesus understood who his father was. And it wasn't Joseph. He was dad, but he wasn't father. So we know there's a process, but at that point, we know at least he understood who his father was and that he had a mission. We, we know he knew that much at this point, but there's another 18 years that are coming before he first preaches. So the process was essential because all humans have to go through it. The process was essential because all humans have to go through it. Now listen, we'll all be in development mode all of our lives. When I was a young man, I, I was hoping and praying that I would get to such a point of sanctification that I'd never struggle with sin anymore. This may not be a newsflash to you, but I never got there. <laughs> Neither did you. <laughs> because you know what? We will never be perfect I was going to say until we get to heaven, but even then I believe that we will develop forever. Why? Because there is a limitless God that we will have the privilege of access forever and we will be able to explore Him forever. And what that will mean is we will develop in our capacity to experience more and more of an eternal, unlimited, uh, infinite God will grow and forever we will grow.
I believe that. But we'll always be in development mode. And he modeled that development for the short time that he lived on this earth. He modeled that. He knows what we know from the inside out. He knows what it's like to be disappointed by relationships because he was disappointed by relationships. He knows what betrayal feels like because he experienced it. Not because he's all-knowing, but because he walked through it. He knows it by experience, not just by fact. How many of you, when, when you've got an issue, well, who you really want to talk to is who? The one that's been there and done that. You may have somebody that's got degrees behind their name, but if they've never been there and done that, there's a, an authority, there's, a, there's, a, there's an authenticity that comes from talking with someone that's been in your shoes. They felt what you feel. They know what you know. Not because they read it in a book. Not because somebody else told them. But because they lived it. Jesus lived it. And because he did, he's the perfect sacrifice. And he lived it without sin. So... Not only did Jesus make progress the way we make progress, Jesus had to fight the way we fight. Jesus had to fight the way we fight. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. In some versions it says because of his holy fear. Although he was a son, he learned. Say learned. Jesus learned. The all-knowing one learned. Yeah. Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, was he not perfect? Yes. He was perfect. But everything Jesus was going through was preparing him to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He was sinlessly perfect in his character, in his actions. But the perfection process was him walking in our shoes. Fitting him, some would say, fitting him specifically to be someone who could feel our pain could hear the cry of our heart because he's been there, could understand our, our grief, could understand our struggle, could understand our fear, could understand our hope. He could understand it because he walked it. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Jesus subjected himself to dependence on the Holy Spirit. Have you ever asked yourself, I know this is a little cerebral for some of you. You ever asked yourself why Jesus prayed? Was this God talking to himself? Now I say that tongue in cheek, but really. Why did Jesus pray? If he's God, why did he pray? I, I, got, I got the short answer and it's this, because he was human. 
and he needed communion with his father like he had experienced for all eternity past. He needed communion and he depended on Holy Spirit. Why was Jesus baptized in the Holy Spirit at his baptism? said the Spirit descended on him and he went from there in the power of the Spirit indicating he, had, he did not come there with the same power of the Spirit that he left there with. I believe that Jesus limited himself to having to depend on the Holy Spirit just like Michael Millette does. Just like Michelle does. Jennifer Buster, he limited himself and he prayed like we pray and he depended on the Holy Spirit and God did amazing things. Was he still God? Yes. Could he have pulled rank and just did everything because he's God? Yes. Anytime he got ready. But he didn't. So that you and I would know we can do this. We can beat sin. We can overcome temptation. We can work our way through grief. We can go through disappointment. We can overcome the enemy of our soul. We can do it. Luke 4, 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. When the devil had finished all this tempting, this is 12 verses, 10 verses later, 11 verses later. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I referred to this a week or two ago. Let me tell you something. Jesus fought, fought like we fight. And he had to face temptation of the enemy but what I want you to hear in this scripture is this. Not only did he have to fight temptation, but he was not done fighting temptation after that moment in the wilderness. The devil was not going to leave him alone. Anybody here, you felt like the devil just won't leave you alone? Anybody, raise your hand, be serious. You just feel like the devil just don't want to leave you alone? Can I tell you, Jesus knows how you feel. And you have access to the same thing that he used to win the battle. Another Bible expert said, by progressive process, he showed by his obedience to the Father's will a continuous making of God's will his own, reaching its climax in his approach to death. In other words, he had to continually put his self-interest aside and say, I came to do my Father's will. He even had to do this in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we think the only time Jesus ever had a battle with doing the Father's will was in Gethsemane. I'm telling you, that the Bible doesn't say that. There were many days when Jesus made choices. I will do my Father's will. I will do my Father's will today. I will say what my father says. I will do what I see my father doing. And you're trying to get me to do other things. The devil is not leaving me alone. He's dogging me, hounding me, trying to surround me. But I'm telling you, I'm going to do my father's will because this is why I came to this earth. I'm just saying he had decisions to make. And he made them perfectly every time. And you're sitting there thinking, well, I won't make them perfectly every time. No, you won't. And I haven't either. But can I tell you something? We can win. 
And he demonstrated how we can win. It means we can survive suffering and even grow and learn from it. It means we can win over temptation and attack by the power of the Spirit when we fully lean on and yield to Him. The third thing, and I'll be done, is Jesus became perfect as Savior because of His walk. He became the perfect Savior because of His walk. He was perfect in His character already. But He became fit to be the ultimate representative of us because He walked the walk. See, this is that long walk I started talking about today. That long walk where not only was he conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary, not only was he born as a baby, not only did he grow from an infant all the way up to 12 and then beyond, and not only did he go through all those physical changes, but he walked through all the processes you and I have to walk through. I want to read another scripture to you. Hebrews 2.17, therefore he had to be made, say he had to be, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, say all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who were tempted. What is it saying? He's saying he had to be made like us. He had to go through the process. He had to fight the fight so that he would be the perfect sacrifice for you and me, so that he would be the perfect representative at the right hand of the Father forever. Ever, ever living to intercede for us as we talked about last week. He had to be. Was he perfect in character? Yes. Was he God in flesh? Yes. But because he went through the process, because he walked through the pain and the grief and the betrayal and the disappointment, because he walked through all of that, he knows how we feel and what we struggle with. He's been there and done that and He won. And we will win too. He became the perfect high priest and sacrificed by walking through the whole human experience inch by agonizing inch. You know, in contrast to an instant breakfast drink, You've got my favorite breakfast drink. I know you can't guess it. Coffee. But coffee doesn't get to my cup instantly. Matter of fact, I hate instant coffee. You know, the best coffee is dried just right. It's aged and it's ground just right. And it's vacuum sealed and all of these things. I'm not a coffee snob. I, I work with some coffee snobs. If it's coffee, I can enjoy it, but, but I do know the difference in really, really, really good coffee and just Folgers. But you don't, you don't get that kind of coffee out of an instant bag. You get it by growing. You get it by curing. You get it by grinding. You get it by sealing. You get it by the way you actually perk the coffee. Shows you how old I am. 
Jesus went through the whole process. For me. For me. Did he ever marry or have a child? No. Did he ever get old? No. Did he ever experience disease firsthand? Evidently not. You say, well, how can you really say, Pastor, that he really walked in our shoes because I've been married and I know the struggles of that. Or I've been divorced and I know the struggles of that. I've had children and I know the challenges of having children. I know the challenges of all of these things of life that of getting old. I'm not claiming that one. But I'm around enough of you old folks, I know what it's like. Some of you are laughing because you know how old I am. Jesus never got old. Does he really know? Can I tell you, Jesus experienced the essence of every human emotion and every human experience even though he didn't have the exact one you're having, he experienced the essence of what it does to a human soul. One more scripture to seal the deal. Hebrews chapter four. You, man, Hebrews is a challenging book, but it's, it's rich. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Why? Why should we hold fast our confession in this Jesus? Here's why. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things. Say all things. As we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All things. Does he know what happened to you at school this week? No. Does, does he know how you got messed over by your boss? No. Does he know the ache of your heart because of some, that family issue we prayed about earlier today? Does he know all of that by experience? No, but he knows it in essence. He knows it because he went through the full gamut of human emotions and emotional and mental challenges and spiritual challenges that we do. Here's one that's kind of tough to know by experience. Does he know the pain of failure? No. But I just have to say that's where his all-knowingness has to kick in because he never failed. But he can meet you at your point of failure with His all-knowingness and His wisdom and His love. Amen? Just bow your heads for a minute. You know, my prayer today is that you would leave here just saying this in your heart. He knows. He knows because he's been in my shoes. He knows, he knows, he knows. He knows and he cares. And he has the solution 
for what aches my heart. But those of you that are sitting here and those that may have joined us online, if you've, if you've never given him a chance to be your personal Lord and Savior, yeah, he died for the whole world. He died for the sins of the world. He died that you might be brought near and experience his life in the middle of your humanity, in spite of your humanity. You've not ever done that. You've never really surrendered your heart to this Christ that loved you so much, he took on flesh and went through all of this just so he could know by experience and represent us completely and die in our place. You've not ever really surrendered your heart to that Jesus. I just want to see your hand. You want to do that today. Anybody here? You want to do that, but you've not done that. Anybody? Anybody? I don't see any hands. Standing down here, I can't see the balcony. So. I want you to stand with me. alone. You are not helpless. You are not hopeless. And you are not alone. He's walked in your shoes. He's experienced your grief and pain. And He is near. As close as your breath. I'm assuming that everyone here is believers because nobody raised their hands and said, I need to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. If you're a born again believer and the Spirit of God has come and dwelled in your spirit and made you a new creation in Christ, you're not alone. You're not alone. Sometimes we still feel alone, don't we? Even though technically... In reality, we're not. My prayer for each of us is that we would sense God with us. We would experience Emmanuel this week. God with us. God come close. God who understands. God who walked in our shoes. God who cares. God who sees. God who hears. Emmanuel. Would you just lay your hands on your own eyes or your heart? Just, just a, a simple token action and say, God, help me see. Help me see. Help me sense your nearness this week. Help me sense and, and understand and dare believe you are in the middle of my mess. You are in the middle of my mess and you can say to the storm, peace, be still. Peace, be still. I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, you're the one that will make that happen. You're the one that will make us experience the presence of the risen Jesus with nail scars in his hands. You, Holy Spirit, we ask you, 
manifest your presence this week as we go to work, as we go to school, whatever we do. As we shop, decorate, connect with family, I pray, Holy Spirit, manifest the presence and reality of the risen Jesus with nail scars. And we thank you in advance in his awesome, powerful, lovely name. Can you say amen? Love one another. God bless you.